0: Well, guys, it is the beginning of 2024, Uh, not exactly the beginning. Last weekend, as you know, the deacons and pastors went away for a vision and planning retreat and look forward in the coming uh, days to filling you in on some of the conversations that we had. My sense is it was an important time. I think the Lord really uh, used that time away to help bring focus to our hopes for the coming year, some goals that we have in place and some ways to take our best intentions as church leadership and put some feet to that and try to take some practical steps to achieving some things that we really long to see flourish here in the midst of our fellowship. And I'm grateful uh, for those guys, for the, the insights that each of them shared. And one of the things that we'll be revisiting throughout 2024, we'll be picking up on a conversation that really began about five years ago for us as a church family. I'll get to that in a moment, but let me first just read our scripture for this morning, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, spoke these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. By the way, that, that song we just sang there at the end of that worship set, And the worship team is always such a blessing to me, and I'm just um, so grateful for them and grateful along with them to a God who gives us so much to sing about. But that last song said, may it be a sweet sound in your ear, to your ear. And here it says that the difference between a sweet song and a just noise is a heart's motivation of love. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, just noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Five years ago, like I said, we began an important conversation as a church about how we should respond to the great commission that Jesus gave to the church before ascending to heaven. Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, There, Jesus promises us two things. He says that all authority had been given to him. There's great power and authority that rests in the midst of the church. And he also promised us that he would be with us always to the end of the age. And between those two bookends, we find the Great Commission charge to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them his commands and baptizing them. Now, our mission as a church family is to win disciples for Jesus, and to grow as disciples personally, to bring people who are far off into an encounter with Jesus, and to help them grow from that starting place into fully committed followers of Jesus. That's our mission. That should be the great governing fact at the center of our church life, and along the way, over the, the past five years or so, we have been careful to define with precision what we mean when we talk about winning and growing disciples. A disciple is a sincere, from the heart, imitator of Jesus. That, that is what Jesus charged us to go and make in the Great Commission, fully committed followers of his, sincere, from the heart, imitators of his example. And of course, the question that haunts a lot of board meetings and gatherings of deacons and pastors and stuff is, okay, we know that that's why we exist. We know that that's a central truth at the heart of our church life. But how do you do that? (laughs) How exactly are we going to make disciples here at State Road? How are we going to take people who are far off And from a starting place with the truth of the gospel, bring them along more and more by degrees until they are fully committed followers of Jesus. They are sincere from the heart, imitators of their Lord. How do we do that with intentionality here at State Road? That's a conversation that we're having. And I would say that the way we go about making disciples here at State Road and we can always do a better job of this, and I'm looking forward in 2024 to taking great strides in doing this better, is by emphasizing those things which Jesus commanded in his teachings and modeled for us during the days of his earthly ministry. We've summarized those three things in these statements. A disciple of Jesus is someone who loves God. A disciple of Jesus is someone who loves others, and a disciple of Jesus is someone who loves in action. We as a people are are a people committed to loving God, loving others, and loving in action. And I think a disciple of Jesus is going to be someone who is always going deeper in these three areas. Jesus pointed us to these three statements himself. this is not something we came up with (laughs) on our own. Do you remember the scene in the Gospels? Jesus was teaching, and a teacher of the law asked him a question. He said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus gave this response. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I've made this point so many times. You long-time attenders here at State Road are already like, yeah, we've heard it. (laughs) But uh, those things that are most foundationally important, though, need to be revisited and reinforced. Jesus here makes an incredible statement. He said, on these two truths, on these two commands, hang the whole of God's revelation to mankind. All of it is summed up in the commands to love God with your whole person and to love others as yourself. But here's something else, and this is how we tie it into being a disciple of Jesus, an imitator of him. Here's how John begins his gospel. Speaking of Jesus, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a few verses later, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see the connection between the Word becoming flesh And the greatest commandment, the second commandment, being representative of the whole of the word of God. Jesus, the one who we are setting out to imitate and follow and obey as Lord, is the perfect embodiment of loving God with your whole person and loving others as yourself. And then, of course, we add that third statement to make explicit what is implied in those two commands, which is that biblical love is always an active love. The commands to love God, love others, and love in action were perfectly lived out in Jesus. He embodied them. Now again, for those of you who are longtime attenders here at State Road, all this stuff we have covered before. But it's my intention in 2024 to return to these truths periodically, to reinforce them, because there is always this natural tendency in the fallen world for good whole things to rot and decay. Everything rots, everything rusts, and the wood gets punky, banks erode, everything is drifting into disorder and wrong ways of thinking and doing always. It's true in the physical world. It's true in church life. And so we need to return to this truth often so that it can become a reality here in the midst of our fellowship. At last weekend's vision and planning weekend, uh, we were really spent a fair amount of the time we devoted it to answering the question about what can we do practically as a church to see these things lived out more intentionally at State Road. And of course, one of the reasons why that's such an important thing for us to be thinking about and moving towards is that the dangerous thing that ensnares so many churches and saps them of their function and power is not that they embrace the opposite of these things, but that they embrace one or two of them to the neglect of a third. (laughs) I think this is true. I don't think Satan is really trying very much to have the leadership here at State Road embrace hating God, hating others, and hating living out our ideals. (laughs) That's not what he's trying to do. But what he would love to do and has done successfully in so many places is to make us love others so much that we don't bring a hard truth into the midst of that relationship. Or many other different combinations of these three that neglects a third. What he really is trying to see happen, I believe, here in the midst of our church and in my own inner world as a follower of Jesus is to develop these things in a misshapen, lopsided way and not in a way that's fully orbed. Because then Jesus' image is marred in the church. These three statements cannot be separated. Uh, If you take away any one of those three, love God, love others, love in action you are left with something that doesn't make Jesus visible. You can't divorce a love of God from a love of others. 1 John 4.21 says, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The two go together. And biblically, love is always active. It's always finding expression in what we do. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So these three statements are so intertwined, it is impossible to separate them out. But some churches do their best (laughs) to do that. And what you will find whenever you bump up against someone who emphasizes one or two of these statements to the neglect of the other or others is that they might be doing a fairly good impression of a Christian, but it cannot be said that they are Christ imitators. Take, for example, a church that really emphasized loving God, but de-emphasized the commands to love others. This would be a lopsided love, and it could manifest in a couple of different ways. I think, one, it could lead to religiosity and legalism. This is the sort of love that we see demonstrated in the life of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were animated animated by a great devotion to God and His law. But at every step, at least insofar as God and His Word portrays them, which is truth, they're represented as holding a disdain for others, a judgmentalism, They had. They were savage in their disdain for other people. They failed to love others, or it might lead to this. They say they love God. Some people, but the God they say they love is one they have just created in their own minds. They might even call this God of theirs Jesus, but he doesn't look a thing like the Jesus we encounter in the Bible. He's a permissive God who conveniently requires nothing of them. They think, I don't need to go worship with all those messy hypocrites at State Road, (laughs) or read God's Word, or fight sin in my life. God and I have an understanding. We get each other. These are folks who rarely go to church, who say they enjoy communion with God up a deer stand, or out in the garden, or riding back roads. The only problem is that their understanding of God has not been shaped by what God has revealed to us in His Word. This God would never ask them to do something they don't want to do, so they never love in a radical, sacrificial, costly, active way, the way Jesus modeled for us in the Bible. So there we see the peril of loving God but not loving actively not following him in obedience as he lays out in his word. I think, too, there are some churches that love others in a lopsided way. This can happen in the church. And you could think, boy, how could it be wrong to love others? <laughs> well, remember before the, before the Israelites were commanded to go into the Holy Land, one of the reasons why they refused to go, we're told in, in God's word, is that because they said they will make our children a prey over there. Uh, They thought their children would be harmed if they went into the promised land. And so a love for their children kept them from following God in obedience. They loved others to such a degree that they loved, that did not grow apace with their love for God. And we see this in many churches. People love others They come to church, they love their church, they're enthusiastic about their friendships they've formed there, but if they're honest, they can't remember the last time they got alone with God in prayer or spent a few quiet moments with God in His Word. And their sins are only a problem if their church friends find out about them. And in fact, in the name of loving others, entire denominations have demonstrated a willingness to jettison God's commands when they run afoul of people's sensibilities. But community that isn't founded and shaped upon God's word and a common love for God, that's not church. That's not the body of Christ. That's a social club, that's a human movement not the kingdom of God. I think, too, there are churches that emphasize an active love in a way that's outsized to loving God or even loving others. Uh, Some people are very active in service. Uh, You might have an unbelieving friend who is unbelievably generous in their time. They love serving, and that's a good thing. I don't mean this as a critique, I think that there is something inside of every human being that longs to worship God. And we can replace him with all kinds of things. And it's possible to replace service with volunteerism. I've known churches, I believe I've known churches, I don't mean to sound judgy, but I think so, that have fallen into this trap. They build playgrounds. They have community gardens. They volunteer with sacrificial energy. But in those churches, there is little or no talk of Jesus as Lord or the way of salvation or the seriousness of a person's sins, those sins which separate them from God, so many Christians and churches have gone this way I believe because it is inoffensive in the midst of this generation. I think Satan is eager to make a deal with the church. If we would just stop saying offensive things from the Bible. And if we would just become a Jesusless bunch of do-gooders, he will call off the dogs. But do-goodism and volunteerism are also idolatry if it's not born of a desire to worship God, to be like Him, to make Him known, and to share Him with others. So these sorts of people who embrace one or two of these ideas, but not all three together, they might look outwardly like a Christian, If you squint your spirits, they might even sound like one. But they can't truly be called a disciple of Jesus because although they might be doing a good imitation of a Christian, they cannot be called a Christ imitator. Because Christ lived out perfectly. He embodied loving God with your whole person and loving others as yourself. And he loved us actively by going to the cross, did he not? And he says to his disciples, Take up your cross and follow me. What is that but a call to action, to sacrificial living? Now that's what we're called to make and to be. If we are to be Christ imitators, we are to make, if we are to be Christ imitators, and if we are to make Christ imitators, We must be continually going deeper in these three areas as a church. Loving God, loving others, and love in action. So the goal, again, is to revisit this idea throughout the year and between sermon series and at other times, and to put some feet to our good intentions to make this a reality in the midst of our fellowship this coming year. Now, this morning, I wanted to start that conversation with what is arguably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible on the topic of love, and that is, of course, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And there it makes it very plain uh, that if love is not the motive in what we do, we're just noise. Noise. And we gain nothing. And in fact, it says we are nothing. It's an amazing statement. Even if you surrender your body to the flames, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, you willingly go through martyrdom, but you don't have love. You gain nothing. God is love. That's what the Bible says about God. He is love. He is not loving He is love. Jesus is so, love is so central to who he is that he told his disciples, as I have commanded you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow, guys, by this, all men will know that you are a sincere, from the heart, imitator of Jesus if we love one another. And so, this is making a very profound statement about the necessity of love as a motive in what we do in church life. I'm going to revisit, uh, I'm gonna, just going to read some of these lines again from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Um, Beginning here with love is patient and kind. Uh, I have to thank David Mathis, an author. Uh, He says this, It was Philip, according to John 14, 8, who so foolishly said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus answers with compassion and patience, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What a patient answer. What a kind way of answering him. When Thomas declared, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Jesus again was patient with him. He accommodates his request. Remember Peter Peter saw Jesus' perfect patience on display after denying him three times on the eve of his crucifixion. It should then be no surprise that Peter pays tribute at the end of his second letter to Christ's amazing patience. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, he writes in 2 Peter 3. Peter knew something about the patience of Jesus, so did Thomas and Philip. And I think one of the ways we must live this out here among us at State Road is by being patient and kind with one another. I think of, uh, and you are, guys, you are. Uh, you've been so patient and kind even with me. I have many stories to tell. I have found you to be a patient and kind people. Uh, but an unguarded strength is a double weakness. This is always worth revisiting and thinking about. Jesus was patient and kind. I think in a church family like ours, there are so many different moving parts here, so many different personalities, so many different people who were formed in different ways. And we're all trying to work together in one church family, and inevitably there will come times where all these moving parts will rub against one another in a way that chafes and threatens to overheat. And so, like a lubricating oil, this love of Christ—if it—if it is not poured over the whole thing, it's gonna overheat and damage one another, break down. How very, very important that we be a patient and kind people. And we see this lived out in Jesus' life. Again, our example in everything. It says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Uh, Jesus is the embodiment of the humble love that we see here. Um, During our vision and planning weekend, we... Um, On Sunday morning, we washed each other's feet to be reminded of this. What Jesus did, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is the living embodiment of humility in love, a repudiation, a direct rebuke to the arrogance and pride so much in evidence in this fallen world. And he says to his people, the church, in the kingdom, the last shall be first, It says here that love does not insist on its own way. Do you remember Jesus' words on the night that he went to the cross, before he went to the cross? And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There is a soft, yielded obedience before the Lord that's evidence in a people who are governed by love. It says it's not irritable or resentful. Some versions record this as, "Love keeps no record of wrongs. And of course, Jesus lived this out as well. We saw this in some of his patients. Um, the three times Peter denied Christ. Praise God that our God is not such a one as kept a record of those wrongs. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Wow. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, I'm, I think my grandmother introduced me to this quote and I think she attributed it to Ogden Nash. I quote it a lot but my grandmother used to say quoting Ogden Nash I think that's the origin of it. When you really hate somebody even the way they eat peas will annoy you. <laughs> so, so true. So true. And I think that Um, This is one of the greatest tests in my own heart of if I love someone who's difficult. Because when there's somebody who's been really difficult for you, and they've made life tough, is there a part of me that enjoys when they stumble and they're shown for who they are? Do I rejoice at their sin? It's a convicting thought, But here it says that love keeps no record of wrong. It's not irritable or resentful. And then it says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Do I keep records of wrongs? Do I rejoice when difficult people mess up? Love is a thing that rejoices with the truth, that roots for people. And of course, the whole gospel narrative is a direct repudiation of the idea that Jesus rejoices at evil. Just picture God in heaven, saying, you wanted to be free from me? Enjoy your miserable existence, planet earth. You made your bed, now lie in it, fallen humanity. But that's not our God. And that's not what imitators of his will look like either. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I remember the words of Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Love calls us to endure, to hang in there, to be present and of course, love never ends. Praise God that his love for us will never end. Remember the words of Romans eight, thirty-eight through thirty-nine for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It never ends yours forever now brothers and sisters if you're like me after that list (laughs) of what love is I walk I actually I don't know how you respond to that I walk away from that list feeling a little beat up I don't love the way I should guys my heart is wrong I think by degrees, God has brought me along. I think I'm growing in these things. But as I read through that description of love, what love is, and how Jesus lived those things out perfectly, I can't help but feel I am far, far away from the fullness of that. There is much in my inner world that falls short of what was just described in that dramatic description of what love is. And maybe you're like me. And the question that hangs heavy over my heart is, God, how can I change? God, what can I do if I don't love? How can I possibly obey this command? Father, State Road, I, I believe that statement that we must be a people who love you, who love others, and who love in action. But God, I'm so far short, and I can't conjure love where it doesn't exist. If our command was for me to lose weight from God, <laughs> which maybe it is, <laughs> I could I could go and do something about that through sheer force of volitional will. I could obey such a command. If our command was to build a building, we could do it. If our command was to go and do anything from digging ditches to taking a hill, we could do it or try. Right now, I want you to love something that you hate. Can you obey that command? You cannot. But that's what God has commanded. What do you do with such a command? What do you do with a God who doesn't just command your actions, but how you feel about them? And he does. Oh, he does. Any fair reading of the Bible has to conclude that God commands your emotions. What kind of giver does God love? A cheerful one. And guys, if you have not love, you're just noise. And all your sacrifices, you gain nothing. All the knowledge you stack into your brain, you are nothing. If at root you don't have love. Guys, there are too many scriptures. Too, too many to share where God commands our feelings. And the question I want to finish out our time with this morning, and that I want us to explore with God throughout 2024, is how do we grow in love? How do you obey this command? I have five things I think we can, five things we can do to begin obeying this command. First of all, remember this truth. John 15:15 15, 15 says, "I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." Guys, apart from Jesus, you cannot grow in this area of love. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So lean into that. Saint Augustine famously said, "God promise what you will, but give what you um, command. What you will, but give what you command." <laughs> That's what he said. I got it wrong the first time. Com- command what you will, but give what you command. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. The second step, the second thing I think we have to do as a people is confess and repent. If we do not have love, we can go to God, and it is safe and okay to say to Him, I'm wrong. My inner world is broken. I don't love you. I don't love others. I don't love an action the way I should. I fall short, far, far short, of that description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And He is such a God as receives that confession with grace. That's why it's so precious, that description of love, the God of love. He is patient and kind when we come to Him with our failings. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So confess it, repent of it. And third, and I think this is so critically important, is to trust a promise from Scripture. As God's people, I believe we need to grow in the habit of speaking God's word back to him, especially in those areas that are so critically important. A passage of scripture I memorized recently is a portion of scripture out of 2 Corinthians 9, and it's become important to me in a great many areas of my life. It says, "...and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. You can say to God, God, make your grace abound to me so that I grow in love, so that I have all sufficiency in all things at all times to abound in the good works that you've called me to do. Or take Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Guys, if you're not in the habit of memorizing Scripture, I'd invite you to commit these specific scriptures to memory and to call upon God in these areas in your efforts to grow love in your inner world. Or Philippians 4:19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So those are the first 3. Remember that apart from Jesus you can do nothing. Confess and repent. Trust a promise that God has made in scripture. 4. Request a change of heart. You can do this. 1 Peter 3:12 says for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. David prayed in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then fifth, and I think this is very important, is to act. Uh, the old adage is true that um, a car without power steering, it's really hard to turn that wheel, the, the steering wheel until the wheels are in motion. But once the wheels start to turn, you can turn the steering wheel. And I think that once we have done those other steps, uh, it's time to act on what we know to be true. First Peter 3.9 says, "'Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing.'" Um I've, I've told you this story before, State Road, um, forgive me for being so repetitious, but at least in my own walk with Christ, this is the pivotal moment for me that uh, really convinced me of the necessity of this last step of acting on love, even before my heart has caught up. <laughs> I, I once had a boss who was very difficult for me, and uh, the Lord really convicted me over my heart toward This man, especially following a sermon once where the preacher preached on that text that says, You cannot love God and hate your brother. And when I heard that scripture read, the Holy Spirit just zinged me in my heart and said, That's true of you. You are flirting with hatred for this man. And I was somebody who claimed to be a God lover. And I was so torn up about it. I remember in tears praying about this because I couldn't stop hating this man. And I was afraid of what that meant for me if I was really a God follower or maybe I was an imposter. And in tears, guys, literally tears, I would pray about this, afraid of what it might mean. And through the ministry of John Piper, a pastor I greatly appreciate, I was made aware of this five-step process I just laid out for you. This is not something I created. Uh, of course not. Thank God for people who are wiser than me. <laughs> but I remember coming to this and, and leaning into it. I'd, I'd repented. I'd embraced promises from God. I'd asked for a changed heart. I'd I'd spoken back to God the truth that I, he was the vine. I'm just a branch and apart from him I can do nothing. But in him, all kinds of things were possible. I had believed these things. I'd pleaded for them. I'd prayed for them. And one day as I was leaving my place of work and going into town, I was in town and the Lord laid it on my heart to buy that guy an iced tea. He was doing a job that was hot. And when I came back to work and I just said, Hey, it's hot out. I bought you an iced tea. Guys, I don't know any other way to explain it, but I felt something just melt within me. I was miraculously delivered from hatred of that man in that moment. And from then on, I became, I continued to be aware of his faults. But guys, it is my honest testimony before you that I became a man who was rooting for him. I no longer delighted in evil. When he messed up or did something that was wrong, I didn't delight in that. I really wanted him to be more Christ-like. I was rooting for him. I was trying to help. Something changed. But the, the moment where that change occurred was in this last step where after repenting, after trusting in those promises, after confessing and repenting, I did an action to move in the direction of what I knew to be true. And it was very simple. So guys, this year ahead, it's gonna be very important for us as a people that we revisit often the central importance of love. We're followers of the God who is love. We're imitators of him. And Jesus said, in our love for one another, by this all men will know that we are disciples. It's not that we're not supposed to love people out in the world. It's that all of our efforts out there are built upon and predicated upon certain realities here within us. We as a people must be loving each other well. And so, yeah, in 2024, the challenge in front of us is to take practical, real steps to make these things real among us, that we would become people who love God, love others, and love in action more. Let's pray for God to do that. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, at the conclusion of our time together here this morning, we are all aware of who you are. You are love. You're more than loving. You are love. And God, your love for us was demonstrated most forcefully and pointedly on the cross. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he'd lay down his life for his friends. Father, I pray that you would grow here among us at State Road a sacrificial, agape love for one another. God, that you'd make real here among us the love that Jesus modeled for us. But Father, many of us come away from that list of what love is, what it looks like, with a growing, sinking suspicion that we fall well short of that description in many ways. And so God, I pray to you who is able to make all grace abound to us, that we would have all sufficiency in all things at all times to abound in every good work. God, we call upon you to strengthen us, to provide for us, to give what's needed, and to change our hearts. Father, you're the God who commands our emotions. Father, help us to obey you. Not just from an act of volitional will, but because we love what is true. Father, I'm so grateful for State Road Church. I'm so grateful for the way that me and my family have been loved here. And I have tasted here among my friends at State Road something of the love that's commanded in 1 Corinthians 13. And God, I pray that you would give us even more of that. God, I pray that you would give us that in such measure that who you are would shine in the midst of this generation, this place, these people, out from your church. Father, I pray this not only for State Road, but for all the churches that share this corner of the harvest in Aristot County. God, I pray that our shared, unified testimony across all these churches and all these towns would be a people who love. Love you, love others, and love in action. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.